Let's turn our attention now to God's Word. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 10. So please stand as we give reverence to God's Word. Read God's Word for God's people. Hebrews chapter 5 says this, For every high priest chosen from among men is approved to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorance and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Verse 5, So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of this flesh, Jesus offered prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who would obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, because Your Word leads and guides and directs us. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It gives us wisdom on how to navigate through this world for Your glory and for our joy. And so, Lord, I pray that You give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. And if anyone has come in here with a a disgruntled heart, with a depressed heart, with a a downcast soul, Lord, I pray that you would meet him or her today through your word. Because today's message is a a glorious one with a a simple message that Jesus is better. He is a better high priest. And what we need to do today is receive that good news. Because if if we do do that, it's going to give us peace. It's going to give us assurance. It's going to give us hope. Not only for now, but for all eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, as I said, as you guys have been joining us, uh, we get to go through books of the Bible here, and right now we find ourselves in Hebrews. And over the last several uh, weeks, we have been going through the book of Hebrews. And the theme of Hebrews is a simple one, Yet it's a profound one. It's one that that its impact ripples throughout eternity. And that is simply, Jesus is better. Or or Jesus is superior. There's nothing better than Jesus. We see in chapter 1, we saw that Jesus was better than the prophets. That Jesus is better than the angels. In chapter 3, we see that Jesus was better than Moses. In chapter 4, we see that Jesus was a better Sabbath rest. And last week, Chad kicked us off in chapter 5. And in Hebrews 5 through 10, the next main theme through those five chapters is that Jesus is a better high priest. Jesus is a superior high priest. And so the question we're going to look at this morning and over the next several weeks is, why do we need a high priest? Why do you and I need a high priest? Now, Chad kicked us off again last week with a great illustration when he talked about his interaction with Michael Johnson, right? If you're there, raise your hand if you guys remember that, right? I'm going to piggyback off of that because I thought it was a great illustration for me to open up my sermon today. 
As you guys know, Chuck ran track at the University of Oregon. He had a late track meet. It was like 11.30 at night. He had to run. So by the time he had uh, got done, he wanted to get something to eat. So he went to IHOP, which was like the only thing open. And I, I just, that kind of just kicked me back to my days when I was an athlete, back in the minor leagues playing these small little podunk Midwest towns. Like, we'd start our game at 7, we wouldn't get done until 10 or 11, then we have to go eat. And I was thinking, like, man, you had the luxury of going to IHOP. Do you know what I had the luxury of going to in those small podunk Midwest towns? Waffle House. Who said the Waffle House? Raise your hand. Waffle House. And oh boy, IHOP is like Rodizio Grill to I, you know, to what it is to the Waffle House. So, anyways, I had to—I was scarred a little bit back then. Then I, then I got focused. But and, and Chad, when he was there, uh, again, Michael Johnson was there. And Michael Johnson would have been considered the Michael Jordan of track and field at that time. Probably, as he mentioned last week, behind Usain Bolt, probably the greatest track athlete, or Carl Lewis, an American, uh, greatest track athlete to to ever exist. And Chad went up to, to ask him for his autograph or a picture. And when he first initially went up to Michael Johnson, he got the hand. Michael Johnson says, yeah, not now. And just kind of brushed him off, right? You guys remember that? And Chad walked away devastated. But as Michael Johnson did, we're never, never sure what's going on in his heart or what conversation was going on. It could have been an intense one, and Chad gave him grace. But as Michael Johnson was, was leaving, he did call Chad over and he got a picture with him. And to me, it's a great illustration to open up what we're talking about today in Jesus as our high priest and why we need a high priest, why we need a mediator between us and God. You see, because if, if Chad uh, back then when, in this time, if he had the opportunity to go through Michael Johnson's mediator, which would have been known as a sports agent, Sports agents, in particular the guy at the height of Michael Johnson, would be a a mediator between kind of Michael Johnson and his fans. And if you were able to go through him and and, and his agent to get to Michael Johnson, that first encounter would not have been of a hand, don't bother me. That first encounter probably would have been a handshake. Or in Chad's case, it would have been a hug, right? And so the agent... What the high priest is for us to God, an agent is a high priest from the athletes to his fans. And so if Chad had the opportunity again to go through his agent on the initial interaction, it would have went off in a much better direction. It would have been a handshake and a hug and a great picture with a smile. And this is why we need Jesus as our high priest and our mediator, because without Jesus as our mediator, without Jesus as our high priest, our first encounter with a holy God as a sinful person would not go well, right? We, we, we wouldn't get just a hand. We would be incinerated on the spot because a holy God can't be in the presence of a sinful people. We would have we burned up like a napkin in a campfire. And so this is why we need Jesus as our mediator so that we as sinful people can approach a holy God. And Chad kicked us off last week and opened that up, and it was beautiful. Because Jesus is our high priest, we can approach Him in the very throne room of God. We can approach Him where He is now, at the throne of grace. And we can ask Him, and we can, we can approach Him with boldness and confidence, and we can ask Him for anything. We can ask Him for anything, at any time, in any, any place. And because Christ is our meter, because we are in Christ, we will get God's heart and we will get God's hands. 
John 14, 6 says this. this is a very familiar verse to us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And what? No one comes to me and no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way we can get to God the Father is if we have a, a high priest, if we have a mediator. And that mediator is Jesus. Jesus. And so if you want to get to God this morning, if you want to have eternal life, then we need to look to Jesus and approach Him, approach the Lord through Him as our great high priest. And so that brings us to point number one. First, Aaron as a high priest was good. Hebrews 5, 1-4. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sin, just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now again, the word for connects us to what Chad preached last week in Hebrews 4, 14 through 6, about this great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness, that we can, again, approach the throne of grace with confidence and assurance that he's going to heal us. Why? Because we have this mediator, a mediator who was without sin. That's an incredible thing. So this four connects us to that. And what the author does now is he kind of gives us some qualifications on who can be a high priest. Who can be a high priest and what is the role or the job description of a high priest? What does he do for you and for me? And we're reading these two verses, two foundational qualifications for a high priest. We see that he must be a man among the people. He must be a man from the tribe of Israel, uh, from the nation Israel. And second, he must be called by God. In general, those are the two qualifications that the author points out here. A man among the people and called by God. First, let's take a look at these, and we're going to look at these real briefly. First, the high priest must be a man among the people from the nation Israel. And why is this so important? Well, there's two reasons why this is so important. There's a, a judicial or legal reason, and then there's also a relational reason. The judicial legal reason, we see it takes us back to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, and gives the reason why it must be a man. It must be someone from the humanity. It says this, because a man, it was Adam and Eve, it was humanity who rebelled and sinned against God. It was Adam and Eve, humanity, that sinned against God. It was not an angel. It wasn't some other form of animal in creation, but it was man. And so for justice to rain down on their judgment for their sin, it must be another human. It would be unjust if, say, I went out and, and murdered a man. Right? I went out and murdered a man, and I'm standing there at the court of law, and then I said, but you know what? Even though I did it, I'm, my dog Wallace is going to be my representative. So whatever, you, whatever judgment comes down, it's going to be on my dog Wallace, and I get to go scot-free. That would be unjust. Why? Because Wallace didn't commit the crime I did. And so the reason why it had to be a man is because man is the one who rebelled against God, so therefore we needed a, a legal representative of humanity to represent us. Secondly, relationally, verse 2, it says that he can deal great gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself was beset with weakness. You see, humans can only understand what humans go through. And so therefore, we needed a mediator. We need another individual that can understand what we go through living in a Genesis 3 world, what it means to be human, how to experience 
what it means to be human. Angels can't understand what it means to be human. We, we looked at that in First Peter. So they, they, they long to look. They are confused that we get this great gift of salvation and how the Lord treats them as opposed to them. It confuses them. They don't understand it. They don't experience that. And obviously an animal can't understand it as well. Only humans can understand what humans grow through. It's a relational representative that we need. And so a high priest understands what we go through. It says that he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself was beset with weakness. He can relate with us because he's human. He can relate with us because he experiences the ups and downs of living in a Genesis 3 world. He experiences the battle with sin and when he falls away from the God, but also the victories. He experiences being ignorant. He experiences being wayward. That word ignorant means that there's things that we don't know and understand as humans. That word wayward means that, that a lot of times we are deceived and we, turn to, and we choose to turn our back on the Lord and follow after our own ways. We, we tend to go astray. This is the definition. This is who we are apart from Christ. We are, we are ignorant and we are wayward. Is this not true? I know it's tough news for us to hear that, but this is what describes us. I often sum up you know, just our sinfulness this way. I've said this before. If you guys knew my thoughts and my attentions throughout the week, there would be no way you guys would come here every Sunday to, to listen to me preach God's Word. If you knew what was the ignorant thoughts that would go in my mind, if you knew the, the wayward decisions that sometimes I would make, but there's also a flip side to that coin. If I knew the thoughts of you, and some of your wayward decisions, I would have those doors locked and wouldn't let you in, right? So it puts us on a level playing field. We need a relational high priest, a relational representative that can understand what it means to be human. And so those are two reasons why it had to be a man, judicially and relationally. The second foundation qualification is they must be called by God. He must be appointed by God. In the Old Testament, the priests and the high priests would come from one of the 12 tribes of Israel. What tribe would they come from? Tribe of Levi. That's right, the tribe of Levi. It was first, uh, God first called Aaron in Exodus 28, then he did in, in Numbers 3, and then also in uh, Deuteronomy 18. And from that tribe, the tribe of Levi, God would appoint one man to be his representative. There were no elections, right? Uh, there, were, there were no self-appointees. No, the sovereign God of the universe looked at the tribe of Levi and said, Aaron, you're going to be my guy. And he would call him out. It would be his man. And I already gave away the second question. Who was the first high priest that God called? Aaron. That's right. Aaron. Old Aaron was the first one to be called. He was the first high priest. You look at verse 4. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. And you guys can read that in Exodus chapter 28. If you guys recall when we went through the book of Exodus. And so those are the two reasons. Must be a man from the tribe of Israel and must be called out by God. Then we read what their job description was. What was the primary job description of the high priest? And verse 1 answers that for us. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men, in other words, mediate, in relation to God. And how do they do that? To offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. The main job 
of the high priest was to lead the other priests in the nation of Israel in the sacrificial system. And, and that was a, an arduous task. We've talked about that in past. But in particular, the pinnacle of that day was the Day of Atonement, uh, Yom Kippur, where the high priest would go into the holies of holies, and he would uh, take a, uh, sacrifice a bull, he'd take the blood in there, he'd sprinkle the blood on the holy of holies for the forgiveness of himself, and then he would take a lamb, he'd do the same thing with the, uh, the blood of the lamb, and sprinkle on for the forgiveness of his people. And he did that every single year. Now we're going to see a little bit later on, on how Jesus is a high priest, and even a better sacrifice in the whole system, that, that they had to do this every single year. It was never sufficient enough to take away all God's sin until Jesus came, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we're going to. But right here, the high priest had to do that on a yearly basis. It was an intense situation. You can read about it in Leviticus 16. And here's the thing about the high priest. Next to the king, or you can even make an argument, next to the king of Israel, he was the most important individual in the whole nation. He had, he had incredible power. He had incredible um, clout, so to speak. I mean, we read, read about the high priest in Jesus' day, how he could manipulate Pontius Pilate the way he wanted to go. He had incredible power. But he also had this incredible mysticism about him. I mean, can you imagine being the high priest? Like, you're the one who represents me before holy God. Only you can go into the holy of holies. I mean, he kind of has that mystical feeling, kind of like Gandalf in, in the Lord of the Rings, Right? I mean, we look at Gandalf and like, yeah, he's a wizard, but there's, there's something different about Gandalf. He's got this mysterious thing about him. And the thing about the high priest is that for 364 days, he would walk around town in this elaborate outfit, right? It was beautiful. Uh, he had this white linen, this purple robe. His white linen was like the undergarments, and then he had this blue robe was the outer garments, and he had this big old gold, you know, breastplate with 12 stones on it representing the 12 tribes of Israel with like emerald and a sapphire and a diamond and I mean he, he would just walk around and people would just be like whoa there's there's the high priest there whoa look at the high priest you know and they're just like dumbfounded but on one day of the year the day of atonement this is so so critical and so important on the day of atonement he would take off those garments and he would put on the garments of the common people. He would just put on the linens. Why? Because he was our, he was their representative. He put on the common clothes of the people because he was a representative of the people. And not only was he the representative of the people, but he was also representative of himself. Himself. The high priest, Aaron, was not sinless, right? So he had to even make sacrifices for himself. Look at verse 3. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for the people. This is an incredible scene. You can see the incredible imagery and the representation where for 364 days he's wearing this elaborate guard. People are like, whoa, there's a high priest. And then on this one day, he, he puts on the common people to be his representatives. The high priest was not perfect. He himself, it says here, was beset with weakness. Beset means like clothed, like layered on. So he was just like us, beset with weakness. He needed to be covered by the, the, the blood of the bull just like the people needed to be covered by the blood of the lamb. And you guys remember Aaron? I mean, we know right off the bat when we walked through Exodus, Aaron was not a perfect man, was he? 
Remember the golden calf deal. Moses is up in the mountains and he's meeting with the Lord. The people are getting restless. Like, man, Moses has been up there for like 40 days or so. He's not coming down. Something must have happened. Aaron, you know, make us a, make us a God. And so so they, Aaron says, hey, bring me your gold. Bring me your silver. Or bring me your gold. And he melts it and he fashions this golden calf, this golden bull with his own hands. Remember Aaron did that? And then in Exodus 32, when Moses comes down the mountain, he confronts Aaron. And he says, Aaron, what, what are you doing, man? You're the high priest. You're supposed to lead these people to God, not away from God. And you guys remember Aaron's response? You guys, it was actually pretty, pretty funny, um, even though it was very serious, but pretty funny. He said, hey, this is what happened. The people just gave me their gold. I threw it in the fire, and this calf jumped out, right? Right? You guys remember that? And you hear the voice of the Lord saying, oh, you done messed up, A.A. Ron, right? No, that's not, that's not in there. That's not in there. But the point is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all are sinners in need of a Savior, even the high priest. So therefore, understanding his own weakness, again, there's this relational element of the high priest for the people. Again, I just want to highlight verse 2, because I think there's a practical application that can flow for us, that he, because he understood his weakness, beset with, he dealt with others with what? Gentleness. He was gentle. He dealt gently with them because he himself was ignorant and wayward. And this is a great reminder for us this morning. When we see others fall into sin, when we see others, you know, act on ignorance and and turn and run away in a wayward way, this is a great reminder for us that our first response should probably be sympathy. It should be grace. It should be gentleness with one another. Because we also understand our own selves first and foremost. We understand our own battles first and foremost living in a Genesis 3 world and how we can have that ignorant thought and how we can go uh, a wayward way. Now, of course, there's times where immediately we need to take someone behind the woodshed, right? But with grace and truth. But our first response should generally, because we understand the battle and the struggle is real in our own hearts, should be that of gentleness. Should that be of grace just as the high priest dealt with the people, and just as we see the great high priest deals with you and me, Jesus. Uh, The word gently is a unique word. It has the meaning, I love this, of one said, finding the meaning between indifference and extreme feelings, especially of anger or grief. It has the ability to respond not in indifference, doesn't matter, or an overreaction, bite someone's head off, to what just happened. Another put it this way, gentleness. Uh, Dealing gently means to take it seriously. We take the issue seriously, but not giving overwhelmed or overreacting. In other words, being emotionally balanced in the response to respond correctly. uh, It's it's, it's to know um, what the posture and response is fitting for the occasion. That's, That's what gentleness is. And think about it. Think about when people have responded to you in indifference or they've responded to you by biting off your head. How many of you guys are going back when you're struggling? Are you going to go back to that person? None of us. We're not going to go back to the person that's indifferent and says, oh, it doesn't really care because, well, yeah, it absolutely does care. And we're not going to go to the person that bites our head off. Why? Because we don't want our head bit off. We want to go to the person that responds in the exact manner in which we find ourselves in. A response that is fitting. A response that is gentle. 
That's what we want to do. So the high priest, again, this is just a, a good reminder for us from the high priest that we can take and implement into our lives right now. That when we see one another walking in ignorance or going wayward, that we respond with gentleness. We respond with a right response of grace and truth. Amen? So those are the, those are the, that's what Aaron was a great high priest. And that takes us to our, the second half of this chapter. Aaron as a high priest was good, but Jesus is a better high priest. Verses 5 through 10. Verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We'll stop right there. Now, what the author is going to do now is he's going to take these two qualifications that we looked at in Aaron, and he's going to answer them in reverse order with Christ and contrasting them with Christ. So first he deals with calling by God, and then he deals with uh, Jesus as a man. So first we see Jesus was called and appointed by God the Father. We know John 20 says, uh, Jesus says, just as I I was sent by the Father, so I'm sending you. Jesus was called and sent with a mission by God the Father. Verses 5 and 6, this is what we read. And what he does is, the author, he quotes two familiar passages this morning. And what he's starting to do is he's going to show us the things that are, are similar with Jesus and Aaron or the high priests in, the, in, the, in Israel, but also we're going to start seeing the differences in what makes Jesus better. So in Psalm 2, he says this, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, we've, we've hammered Psalm 2 over the last year. Uh, Tyler Dell preached a message on it in the summer. We, we, we dealt with it in Hebrews chapter 1 just a couple weeks ago. So we are familiar with what this means, uh, what he's saying here. And what I want you to write next to Psalm 2 in your Bible is the word king. Is the word king. This is, this is huge. This is the word king. A quick reminder that the word begotten does not mean that God was created. It has to do, in this context, with a position, and the position it has to do with the enthronement or the coronation is that of kingship. Psalm 2 is talking about David being enthroned as the king. David was already alive when Psalm 2 took place and this, this, this thing took place. He was already alive. He wasn't created. So Psalm 2 is not referring to being born or point of origin, but it's referring to an enthronement of the king. And Psalm 2 also connects us to 2 Samuel 7 of the great coming eternal king that was going to be given by God the Father. So think that. When you see Psalm 2 in this context, think king. All right. In Psalm 110, that's the next verse that this author quotes. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Next to that in your Bible, put priest put priest. And notice what kind of priest. You're a priest after the order of Melchizedek, which was different from Aaron. And again, we're going to unpack this a little bit later on. But also, I want you to circle this word, a priest forever. A priest forever. So here we see some similarities and differences that Jesus, and the differences, the similarities is that Jesus was, was fully human. We'll get to that in a second. He was fu fully human. He was a priest but he was also a king. These are some of the differences. He was a kingly priest or a priestly king. And this is who Melchizedek was. And again, we're going to unpack this um, later on in chapter 7. 
Because Melchizedek is one of those mystery guys in the Bible that there's not much around, but he is so, so important. And only two places uh, or two people that the king and priest were, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Were, um, let me figure it here. There were only two people, two positions that only two people held the king and priest title because they were always separate. There was never, you were either a priest or you were a king. You were never both except for two people, and that was Jesus and Melchizedek. And again, we're going to unpack that in, in particular in chapter 7. Some other similarities and differences. Again, all human priests came from the tribe of Levi, but Jesus came from what tribe? The tribe of Judah. And the tribe of Judah was not the priestly tribe, right? That was Levi. It was the what? It was the kingly tribe. So here again, we see that the authors point out that Jesus is a priestly king or a kingly priest. He, he holds both offices. And then also the biggest reason, and this is where he is totally separate, where Jesus is totally different than Aaron and the rest of the high priests from Israel. And this is the main reason why Jesus is better is because Jesus as high priest was without sin. He was pure. He was holy. He was perfect. We notice that Aaron, as we, we just pointed out, had to make sacrifice for himself because he was sinful. We don't see that with Jesus. But we see with Jesus that he prayed and made supplications. Jesus was sinless. As Hebrews 4.15 says, Jesus was without sin. Therefore, Jesus is a far superior high priest and is better because Jesus is a high priest without sin and can fully atone for our sins and be our mediator once and for all and for forever. And that brings us to verses 7 through 10. And it continues to highlight Jesus as, as fully man, that he walked in perfect obedience to God. Look at verse 7, in the days of his flesh. That is simply saying that Jesus was human. He was fully man. Chad gave you guys a big word last week called a hypostatic union. And again, all that means is that God, uh, Jesus was fully God and fully man. That He was fully divine and fully human. But notice that word, days. It's not just one day. It was every day that Jesus walked on planet earth. From His birth in Christmas all the way to His death he was in the flesh. He was fully human. This language that follows about talking about um, Jesus praying and makes supplications and that were heard by God and honored by God because of his reverence, many commentators believe that Roy zeroes in on his day when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And you guys remember that. That was an agonizing time. That was a time where Jesus in his humanity was throwing himself on the mercy and grace of the Lord. As a man in his darkest moment, he was dependent, and the only place that he could go to was God the Father, and he did that through prayer and supplication. And then we read here in Hebrews that again, the Lord honored that prayer. He heard his request, and he answered it because of his reverence. Now you might be thinking, you're like, wait a second, what do you mean he answered his prayer? Because Jesus wasn't delivered from death. He actually went to the cross and died, right? Yes, he had to to begin the the Lamb of God to, make, to take away the sins of the world. He had to die. So Jesus wasn't saved from death, but He was saved and the prayer was answered because God saved Him out of death through the resurrection. Death did not have a hold on Him anymore. He was saved not from death, He was saved out of death and the consequences of death because of His sacrifice. 
And then we go on to verses 8 through 10. And these are just self-explanatory passages, 8 through 10. You guys, I'm sure I, I just have to read this and you guys get it, right? Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Make sense? Everyone got it? We can just move on from that point? Yeah? Yeah, no, it's, that's like, oh gosh. This is where it's tough to be in a, a pastor or a preacher. We've got we to gotta wrestle with this because it doesn't, it's, it's tough to understand. What do you mean Jesus was made perfect or being made perfect? What, what does that mean? Right, so these things, so let me, what do you mean he had to learn obedience? Uh, it's, it sounds a little off, but what it's simply saying is that Jesus perfectly obeyed, he, 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 that he perfectly obeyed God's appointed call on his life to the point that obedience was, he had to, he obeyed through experience. I can't even say it. Okay, this is terrible right there. Basically, Jesus was called by God and for, God, for Jesus to fully experience and may be made complete. That would be another word of being made perfect. Being made complete. The only way he could be complete is if he experienced what we experience as humans. That, that's what this is talking about. That he learned obedience and, and was made complete because before the incarnation, Jesus was in heaven. He, he didn't have the human experiences that he needed to fully understand and be our, uh, our high priest. In heaven before the incarnation, Jesus never experienced human sadness or loneliness or betrayal or physical suffering like a sprained ankle or a headache. It was only after being born and growing up and living in a Genesis 3 world that he did fully experience on what it means to be human. And that's what made it complete, is that he had to be human. If he wanted to be a sympathetic high priest, he had to understand what it means to suffer, what it means to experience life as a human. And this is where he learned obedience and was made perfect, because he finally understood when he was incarnated and walked through this earth what it meant to fully experience the, the gamut of being human, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Again, but in his suffering, we see that Jesus never sinned. His obedience was perfect. He had to walk through suffering so that he could be our great high priest and sympathize with us. So what, that's what that phrase means there. Sorry that was a little bit wordy and confused, but I think you guys get the point now. For Jesus to be and understand who we are as a human, he had to fully experience that, and he can only do that being fully man. So what is our response? You see, I've given you all this data of, of, of what the qualifications of our high priest are and what, G, and what Jesus fulfilled as our high priest. And we sit there and we go like, okay, so what? Well, this is the so what. This is what Jesus accomplished as our fully qualified high priest. Look at Hebrews 5.9. He became the source of eternal salvation to all who obeyed Him. You guys should circle that verse. You guys should underline that verse. Because that is one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. And I want to read it again. Because there's no greater news for you or me this morning than Hebrews 5.9. He became the source of eternal salvation to all those who obey Him. What does it mean to obey Him? It means to believe the Gospel. That's what it means to obey Him. It means to believe the Gospel. That's where it's going to get us to eternal life. That's why He came as our mediator. He came as our mediator so 
that we could get to God. He was the bridge between us and God. He was the bridge between sinful man and a holy God. His life, His mediation, His high priesthood. He is the source of eternal salvation because He walked in our shoes, was, was perfect and yet was without sin. He fulfilled the law perfectly and everything that we were called to obey, Jesus obeyed for us and yet was without sin. So now He is the source of eternal salvation. There is no greater news than that for us this morning. You see, there's a lot of obstacles. There's a lot of chaos in our world today. There's a lot of threats to you and me as humans in our world today. And if I was asked you, what is the greatest threat to you and me as humans, what would you say? Right now, some of us may say COVID, right? Might, they might say COVID. And we're like, no, probably not. The donkeys, the donkeys would say climate change, right? The elephants would say, take away Second Amendment rights. And we can list a number of other issues, right? Uh, hunger, um, just a number of number of issues that we could, we could add. But the greatest obstacle, the greatest threat to humanity, the greatest threat to you and to me is that if we come in contact as a sinful man or woman without a mediator before a holy God, that is the greatest threat. And only, the only remedy is believing in the source of, that, of our eternal salvation. And that source is the great high priest and king, Jesus. I love how one put it. No priest of Aaron's line could do this for you. No angel sent from heaven could do this for you. Only Jesus of Nazareth, fully qualified and competent to serve as our high priest, could obtain for us eternal, unending, everlasting, never to be reversed or overturned salvation. You see, this morning, as we listen to all these qualifications, what do we want to come away with? We want to come away with this, that Jesus wants your heart. He wants you. He wants your heart this morning. He wants you to come to Him, the source of eternal life, and believe. Believe in His life, His perfect life that was lived in your place and my place. He wants you to believe in His death that made atonement for your sin and my sin. He wants you to believe in His resurrection. He wants you to believe in Him that He is the source of eternal life. And you and I will only receive that again through believing in the Gospel. Jesus wants your heart this morning and He has done everything possible as a great high priest to make that available to you and me this morning. He is a better high priest. He is one who is interceding and mediating for us right now for those of us in Christ that have taken that step and have embraced Him and believed in Him as our Lord and Savior. Romans 8.34 says this, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So right now, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is interceding on your behalf, before God the Father, at the throne of grace. It's an incredible, comforting feeling. It should give you security no matter where you are right now in life. No matter what you have done this week or last night or on the way to church, that you have a high priest who is interceding for you right now. And what he has accomplished, what he has accomplished is, is salvation, eternal life. When I stand before the throne of grace, hopefully when you stand before the throne of grace at the final judgment, and God the Father says, hey, please bring me Aaron Santini's file. I want to read it. 
I want to bring judgment down. He received that file. He's going to open up that file and he's going to see one word. This is Aaron's translation. Righteous. And under it, it's going to say this. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Why is it going to say that? It's going to say that because of what our great high priest has accomplished for Aaron Santini. It's going to say that for you, if you believe in the gospel, if you believe in the source of eternal life, your great high priest, Jesus Christ. This is why he is better. Because he is the perfect kingly priest. He is the perfect priestly king. And because he is that, notice, in Hebrews it has him as, as a king and a priest. Those both go together. Because as a priest, He has made our way to God. And as a king, He has given us direction on how to obey God here and now. He is both Savior and He is both Lord. And He's calling us to respond by faith to Him this morning. And so the plea this morning for you is what is the application of this text? The application of this text is belief. Belief. Do you believe in Jesus this morning? Do you believe He is the greater high priest? Do you believe that He is the source of eternal life? And the only way to get to God the Father is to go through Him. I pray that everyone who walks out that door, these doors today knows that and has confessed that. That Jesus is a greater high priest. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You are a greater high priest. Lord, thank You that You stepped out of heaven fully God and became fully man. You were incarnate. That You fulfilled God's will. You, you walked in perfect obedience by becoming man and experiencing what it means to live in a Genesis 3 world. The ups, the downs, the all-arounds. You were tempted. You were tempted by sin, but never sinned. You were perfect. You were sinless. Therefore, you could be our high priest. You could also be not only the high priest that, that, that exercises and oversees the sacrifice, but you, are, you yourself were the sacrifice. You were the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You were buried and that you rose again. And now you live to intercede for your children, to everyone who has believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here that has not done that, that today would be the day of salvation. Today they would see their ignorance and their waywardness, just like all of us that have repented and trusted in You, that they would repent and they would trust in You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.